Christchurch, New Malden, 4th of August 2019, 9.30 service. Frank Dobson speaking on Why I Am a Christian. Now, in this series of talks, you are getting the youth view <laughs> from the younger members of the Kurt family, but I'm afraid Stephen, I think he's running out of people to ask to do this, <laughs> so I'm afraid now you've got an old crock who could barely get up into the pulpit, and I'm even more worried about how I'm going to get back out again afterwards. But I hope that I can follow the advice of George Burns, the American comedian, who said that a talk should have a good beginning and a good end, and they shouldn't be too far apart. <laughs> but why am I a Christian? Well, the simple answer is that I can't imagine being anything else. I agree with the philosophy and teachings of Jesus Christ, and I believe in his divinity, and this is the way that I want to lead my life. My family have been Christians for very many generations, and my great-grandfather moved to the fledgling village of Malden in 1854, where he quickly discovered there was no school and to go to church, he had to walk across the fields all the way to St. Peter's in Norberton. So he called a meeting, uh, and with a group of others, he then put forward a resolution that it should be advisable to immediately build a schoolroom to be used as a temporary church until a permanent edifice could be raised. The temporary church was in Poplar Grove, and we are sitting in the permanent evident edifice when it was done. And he thought it would be a good idea to get the local member of parliament to support him, one Henry Drummond. But what he didn't know was that this was one of the Drummonds who founded the Catholic Apostolic Church in Albury, which is the strictest of all Christian sects. He considered all other denominations uh, to be incredibly lax. And when you came to the Church of England, it was so bad it had to be the invention of the devil. So he never replied to the letter. Uh, so my great-grandfather wrote again, and this time he got a reply. Uh, some of you might have read this, but here we go. Some speculators have invested their money in endeavouring to build a little town, and finding that no one would live in so wet and flat a place first to try the attraction of a gin shop. That's where the glass house is now. And then a second, roughly where Bowl Morden is. But speculation still would not answer. And now they are to try the effects of a spiritual gin shop, the religious spiritus not being sufficient. There is no more need of a church than there is a town. It is a piece of religious canting imposture from beginning to end, of which there are many specimens all over the land, and they ought to be exposed and described in their true colours. I am your obedient servant. <laughs> well, fortunately, they didn't take an awful lot of notice of him, and the church was built, and in fact, my family provided the screen that you saw on the slide a few moments ago, which unfortunately is now long gone. But if we could have... Oh, we've got the first slide. Uh, this is him, Henry Thomas Dobson, who was one of the first church wardens of this church. Now, the family have worshipped here for about 160 years. And as I walk here along Acacia Grove in the morning, 
I think of all those ancestors and members of my family who've come along here ahead of me. Next. And this is the family house in Acacia Grove where we all lived until my father sold it in the late 1950s and it is now Fairacre. Uh, this picture was taken about 1900 and the person at the gate is my uncle Edgar and he already was the third generation to have worshipped at this church and as far as I know for his entire life he was baptised here and I know his funeral took place here. Next. And uh, these are my parents who were married in this church in 1928. But sometime shortly after this, my branch of the family left Christ Church and became Roman Catholics, although the rest of the family continued to worship here. At about this point, it's usual to show uh, a picture of yourself when young. So here we have got me, aged 10, and my brother, aged 14 in Oxshot Woods in 1944. You can see the war is on as there are shields on the headlights and you couldn't get antifreeze, so there's a muffler on the radiator. As I said, I grew up as a Catholic and in, very, in my very late teens, I became interested in the Jesuits at Sacred Heart Church in Wimbledon. So I moved there to worship and in fact, for a period, even considered becoming a Jesuit myself but I did join one of their house groups. And later, friends from the church invited me to go with them on a trip to the Broads, where we visited this place, St Bennett's Abbey. There's not much left, and you can see somebody built a windmill in the middle of it. And uh, this was the only abbey which was not dissolved by Henry VIII, and the Bishop of Norwich is still the abbot of St Bennett's. And once a year, holds a service there as the abbot of St. Bennett's. And in fact, that service at three o'clock this afternoon. Uh, but I don't quite know why, but while I was there in this service, uh, I started thinking about the various girlfriends I'd had, none of whom seemed to be quite the right person for me to spend our lives together. So something made me pray that I would soon find the right partner. And I have a great faith in the power of prayer and I find it's answered too many times to be just coincidence. And a few weeks later, uh, this person joined the house group and we seemed to hit it off well together and, as they say, the rest is history. We had 55 years of very happy married life and we managed to produce six daughters and uh, you know we had the usual problems that one has as you go through life but we the mutual support we had kept us through all of these problems our six daughters kept us pretty poor but our family life that we had made it well worth it uh, i always say the best thing i ever did was ask her to marry me and the best thing that ever happened to me was when she said yes. Though, mind you, she did make me wait 24 hours before she gave me an answer. Uh, and now, next slide. These are our six daughters. Uh, this was taken in 
2010, so they're a bit older now. My eldest on the right, Carol, is now 61, and it makes you feel very old when your children get into their 60s. Uh, I felt very outnumbered in my house, as the only other male was the cat, <laughs> and that had been neutered. Uh, <laughs> next, uh, this is my immediate family, uh, the, the daughters, boyfriends, husbands, grandchildren, and uh, since then, this was 2010, I've gained four great-grandchildren, I'm sure there are more to come, three from the uh, uh, mother from the bride and groom, and one from her cousin, the blonde, standing next to her. Right, yes, now the next one. Uh, I did escape to a more male environment by being part-time in charge of a police boat for 26 years. I can assure you this is incredibly boring at half past three in the pitch dark in the snow in January off Kew. But there are several times which I did have to risk my life, but that's what you agreed when joining. I remember one occasion uh, when we were told that there was a body in the river and we spotted this body just as it was about to go under a line of barges and decided it was just too dangerous to go in and collect it. But at that moment, an arm rose up and we realised it wasn't a body. Now, under the strict health and safety rules, there was no way we were allowed to assist. It was by far too dangerous. But I'm afraid, with the agreement of the crew, I couldn't stand by, went in, we managed to get the woman into the boat and back out again before anything happened. And uh, in our report, we were a bit further away from the barges than actually happened. And nobody actually knew about this until now. Or I think I would have been sacked. Uh, but there was no way I think I could have lived with myself for the rest of my life, knowing that I had allowed somebody to drown. Uh, and also in these talks, People always mention their work. This is extremely difficult for me as I've done very many things and often a lot of them at the same time. But my main job was running my small group of companies next in graphic communications. The KP group, you probably can't read this, but there was a printing company, King Print, uh, Kingston Photographic Services, which were industrial photographers and KP Video Graphics. I started an electronics company where we developed equipment for the printing industry in electronics and the Richmond Publishing Company who were environmental publishers. All of these later on when I got towards retirement were management buyouts except for the publishing company which is still run by one of my daughters. However, my favourite job was working for the wildlife department of the BBC and I worked on many series. Uh, this particular shot is filming the series The Living Isles. We were down in Pembroke. And I do remember there was a programme on the wildlife of Brockingham's church which I did a major part and was shortlisted for a BAFTA award. We got down to the last 12 but failed to get into the last six so I never got invited to the reception. Uh, but I did feel this work helped show people 
the wonders of God's creation and what God would want us to do to hopefully preserve and not destroy his world. Next. Uh, this was my last appearance about five or six years ago on Gardener's Question Time from Lavenham. Uh, I don't know if any of you listened to Gardener's Question Time, but chap on the left is uh, Bob Flowerdew. We talked about a number of things, including a common plant I have in my garden, which if you lie under it for 10 minutes, you'll die. Uh, so this, I got to Lavenham, but it was very difficult doing this programme. And uh, I, since then, I haven't been able to continue as I've been in and out of hospital with many things, including asthma, sepsis and heart problems, but I'm still here. Now, my only foray into politics was when I stood for Mayor of London, as only 13% of the electorate voted to have another layer of government. And I felt that this was an unnecessary expense and would hold up uh, passing planning permissions and all sorts of various things. And in actual fact, I was doing very well. And it was an endless round of television and broadcasting and newspaper uh, interviews. And uh, I wouldn't have got in, but I was doing surprisingly well. And so my sponsor started saying, well, if you're elected, I feel these should be our policies. As my policy was we shouldn't be there in the first place. Unfortunately, I had to give up, drop out, as I couldn't afford myself to lose £25,000. But I was surprised that my candidature actually even appeared in a paper in, New in Japan. Uh, so I now actually know how to transliterate my name in Japanese, if that's ever any use to me. And this was, I can't remember which paper, but the other Frank Dobson was always a candidate, also a candidate. So they put this cartoon in, which amused me greatly. Uh, and next, uh, in my spare time, my greatest joy was my windmill on the River Thurne in Norfolk. There was no Catholic church nearby, so I attended what I call my other church, St Mary's Martham, where I still, when I can, get to. And I always received a wonderful welcome there. I've been on their sick list for many years and have slowly risen up, mainly as people have died off. And I'm now at the top of the list, so I rather wonder if I'm the next one to go. They have this marvellous, huge 15th century cathedral, and they have to look after this with only 50 on the electoral roll. Uh, but somehow, with hard work and much prayer, God always seemed to provide the money. They've just had to find £300,000 for a new roof. Right. Uh, now, I was very prosperous that I had good health until I was 70, when it all changed. First was prostate cancer, which left me with radiation damage, then a succession of other problems before I was admitted to Kingston with what they thought was an allergy, as I couldn't swallow, talk, and was drowning in my own saliva. I reached a state of near death and hadn't slept for two days, and quite honestly, I'd had enough. So I prayed, Lord, if you want me, I'm ready to go. And then, surprisingly, I fell asleep. 
And when I woke after a few hours, I'd, I can't really describe this, I had heard a voice, but it wasn't a voice. And this voice had said, uh, you can't go yet, you've still got work to do. Well, I hope I'm doing that work. And amazingly, a few hours later, uh, they decided they couldn't do anything for me and gave me an emergency transfer to St George's, which it turned out at that time was the only place in South East England which knew anything about my senior gravis, which is what I was, am still suffering from. And though they started treatment, it takes a long time, and it deteriorated, and I could no longer breathe and was put on in intensive care on a ventilator. They are truly horrible. I hope you never have to have that. But anyway, one evening, I'm, the thing which kept me going was the support that I got, the enormous support from Mary. But when she was going home, she was told, be ready to come back, as it's extremely unlikely that he will survive the night. So she went home, and one of our daughters was there, and asked if there's anything he wanted. She said, a miracle. Well, I'm still here. Whether that's a miracle or not, I have no idea. Uh, I don't know if you saw the TV programme about Island Parish, about Sark. The Methodist minister there dropped a paving stone on her foot, and it broke several bones, and she was told there was absolutely no chance that she would be able to walk for at least six months. So she was then back to her home. There are no cars on Sark, and she thought, there's no way I can do my work. So she prayed and again heard this sort of voice which said, get up and walk. She thought, well, I can't get up, I can't walk. And the voice just repeated it. And she got up and the bones in those few minutes had completely healed and she could work perfectly normally. And I feel, you know, these miracles are around. Well, eventually, when I was discharged, I discovered Mary was very ill, something she'd kept from me while I was in hospital. And on December the 15th, 2012, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died shortly afterwards on January the 9th. And I shall never forget, one of the last things she said to me was, do not let them remove my wedding ring. I've worn it for over 50 years since we put it on at our wedding and I want to keep it on as long as possible. I miss her as much now as I did when she died. On the 9-11 memorial in New York is carved, grief is the price of love. Now this is an extremely high price to pay as I've found. But nevertheless, I think paying that price is far better than not having had that mutual love in the first place. I look forward to being reunited with Mary, but as Jesus said in Luke 20, 34 to 36, it won't be the same as married life, because we will be as angels and the resurrected children. Earlier I said I grew up a Roman Catholic, became unhappy about a number of things there, and about 10 years ago, I made a very difficult decision to leave and move back here to the family church, where I received an extremely warm welcome. And not long afterwards, Mary joined me here. 
And I've been here ever since. Uh, a, a final true story. One of my sons-in-law wanted to help in a small way with poverty. He hadn't much free money. Uh, he's got his own young family and was in the police, but nevertheless felt that he should help. So he contacted Help the Children, and at the same time a Catholic priest in uh, Lesotho had a small boy, Rantoa, who he felt had enormous promise, but the family was so poor that they could not afford to have him educated. Nick paid to get him educated, and he uh, was eventually left school, and I think Nick sighed a little sigh of relief, but then he said that he wanted to go to university, and Nick uh, agreed that he would continue to pay. But obviously university is a lot more expensive than a little village school. And the time came when the family said, I'm afraid you've got to leave and come home. So we came home, and that very same day, uh, money arrived from Nick. And with this money, he was able to get back to university, and the family bought a goat, which changed their situation completely, because they could sell the milk and the young... Uh, 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 kids produced by this goat. Now, Rantoa eventually qualified as a civil engineer and he was actually very successful and became wealthy and he paid for other children then to be educated and taught a trade. And he rang Nick and said he wanted to invite him and his daughter, which he hadn't seen for a long time, who at that time was a nurse in Australia, to South Africa, all expenses paid. Uh, and there they are. Uh, and I think this shows how, with a helping hand from us here on earth, God can multiply the effect very much in the way that he multiplied loaves and fishes at the feeding of the 5,000. The reading today from James 2 says how True faith is shown in work. And shortly we'll be singing, I, the Lord of sea and sky. And the chorus of this is, Here I am, Lord. Is it I, Lord? I have heard you calling in the night. As Christians, I am sure we all attempt to answer that cry. I certainly try and sometimes fail, but I shall keep trying through my faith and grace in Christ. And that is why I am a Christian. Oh, by the way, that plant that if you lay under it and die is called a water lily. Thank you very much, Frank. And, uh... Thank you very much, Frank. We're very, very grateful uh, for you speaking to us today and summarising why you're a Christian. There are one or two things Frank left out of his talk. One of them was that he competed in the Olympic Games in 1960. So together with all those other remarkable things about Frank, the fact that it got edited out is rather remarkable. And, and also that Frank plays a crucial role in our lunch club grapevine and in our night shelter. 
Uh, Frank turns up and helps at both of those really important projects in this church very, very regularly. And we're very grateful, Frank, for everything you bring to this church and for you sharing with us this morning. Well, let's turn to prayer.